We're kicking off a new seven-week teaching series uh, called Party Like a Rabbi as we study the Jewish festivals and see the lineage of Jesus all the way through the Old and New Testament. I want to share why we're doing this. Uh, We started off the year for four weeks talking about how God wants to do immeasurably more in our lives in Ephesians 3 through 6. We said that's our theme for the year, and then we spent two weeks saying we're going to stop waiting. We're going to start living out God's best in our lives. And what I find is for many of us, we do that without the most important piece, which is the baseline of understanding God through Scripture. See, I want to show you today that God's plan for humankind is seen throughout the Bible. And over the next seven weeks together, you're going to get a picture of the Jewish nature of Jesus and what he actually accomplished by his work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Did you know that Jesus actually celebrated in the New Testament all of the Jewish festivals? that you'll find in Leviticus chapter 23. You may not realize that, but he did it. I want to share with you why. And this week, we're going to kick it off by talking about Leviticus chapter 1. So it's not the festivals yet, but we're going to give you a picture of a very important piece of it to help you understand it. Will you turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 1, power it on, or turn in the one in your book rack? As you're turning there, I'm going to warn you, this week in Leviticus 1, we're going to learn about animal sacrifice. (laughs) Who's excited for that? Kind of a doubter. It might be of a story when uh, Pastor Luke first joined our staff. Many of you know Pastor Luke, our Michigan Road location pastor. You guys met him out in the lobby. Can we thank Pastor Luke for the great job he's doing on Saturday nights as our pre-launch services are occurring and they're growing that team, helping oversee the renovation of the former ITT building. But when he first joined the staff, I thought, man, we need to have kind of a you know, like bonding experience. I need to get to know him as he's joined. He moved here from Arizona. And so I knew he was a fisherman and a hunter, like an outdoorsman. And if you're watching from different parts of the country, there's a lot of ways to do that here in Indiana. Hunting's the thing, especially in November. And I thought, well, I'm not really a hunter. That's not really my thing, but that's Luke's thing. So my grandpa had a farm, some land at that time up on the north side of Howard County. So I thought, well, this would be cool. Let's, Luke, would you want to go hunting together? And his eyes just lit up. And he's like, yeah, I'll bring the guns. So we get you know, the, the truck, we put the guns with the truck, we load up, we drive up to the north side of Howard County, go to my grandpa's farm. I go into the home to tell him, hey, we're going to go out and hunt. I told my grandpa this, and he's like, yeah, no problem. He said, but could you do me a favor? I said, yeah, sure, anything. He said, would you go out and our mule, he had just a few barn animals, you know, he was old, he's older at this time, and he said, hey, I've got a few barn animals out there, and the mule, would you just go out and take care of it? I was like, what do you mean? He says, it's really sick. And I would love it if you would just go out there and put it out of its misery. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> right? And I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, he's from another generation, and he didn't want to go through the whole experience and the chemicals and that kind of stuff. He said, would you just you know, go out and take care of it? I'm like, I'm not doing that, Grandpa. And finally, he's like, please. I said, okay. So I walk out. And I walk outside, I I shut the door, and I realize that Luke doesn't know what I'm about to do or why I'm about to do it. (laughs) So I took the door, I slammed it shut, I kicked the gravel, I went up to the truck, I slammed the door behind me. He's like, what, what's wrong? I said, I just talked to my grandpa. He says, we can't hunt here. 
was like, he's like, really? We drove like an hour and a half to get up here. We can't. I'm like, I know it makes me mad. He's like, that's not right. I know. I said, that's it. I'm going to do something about it. And he's like, what are you going to do? And I grabbed the gun. I go, I'm going to shoot his mule. <laughs> he's like, what? I was like, yeah. And I grabbed the gun. I slammed the door behind. I start walking towards the barn. Luke grabs his gun and starts walking towards it too. We get to the barn. I'm like, there it is. I don't want to do this. This is horrible with my grandpa. So I did the deed, and that's when I heard it. Pop, pop. And I turn around, and there's Luke with a smoking gun going, quick, I just shot two of his cows. <laughs> that's not true at all. I had none of that ever happened. I haven't told that joke in like eight years, and I just I couldn't wait. We're going to talk about animal sacrifice today, though. And sometimes when you talk about this stuff, you're like, what? Really? No way. Maybe that'll set the tone for you a little bit as we dive into a passage that I believe actually demonstrates the love and compassion of your heavenly father for you. That Jesus used this as the baseline story to set the example for all that he would accomplish on the cross. Do you realize that animal sacrifice was something that was practiced before the book of Leviticus was written? This was a common cultural thing that human beings did. I don't think that God ever looked fondly, as we'll say, on animal sacrifice in that sense. But I want to show you all the way back in Leviticus chapter 1 that he created a way that anybody could draw near to him. And that's at the heart of what I'd love to share with you. You ready to study God's word together, church? It's, yeah, come on now. Verse 1, Leviticus 1. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. If you're new to the Bible, the tent of meeting was essentially this large tent that they carried around the wilderness for 40 years before they moved into the promised land. Remember the Red Sea part? They're in the wilderness for 40 years before they move into the promised land. They have this large tent, and in the back of it, the most holy of holies was there where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, where God's presence literally resided with them. They were nomadic people traveling around the wilderness. Outside of that tent, there was a large altar where you would make the sacrifices that God had instilled. Now, Truth be told, uh, a long time ago at a large church in Southern California I used to work at, um, I thought it'd be really cool. I ran the Sunday evening services and I built a life-size altar. (laughs) If you have never seen one, I got in a lot of trouble for this because we hooked up uh, two giant propane tanks to the back of it. And when you lit it on fire, like eight foot flames shot out and apparently methane gas is bad for people. So I wasn't allowed to use it, but when you see a life-size altar, it's, it's humongous. And it was what they actually would do in practice. See, what I find is that for many of us, we read the Bible, maybe you've tried this before, and you start in the book of Genesis. You go, well, there's a lot of entertaining stories there that don't really make sense to me, but at least I could keep moving on. Then you get to Exodus, and it makes a little bit of sense because you saw some movies with like Charlton Heston or maybe Christian Bale or something. You're like, I get what's going on. Then you get to Leviticus, and you're like, what did that just say? And that's usually when you close the Bible and stop reading. It's one of the most boring books to ever read. However, it's one of the most engaging books if you actually visualize it and experience it to see that this was actually real life. They actually did this. So when it says they come to the tent of meeting, they're going to offer a sacrifice outside of that tent in this large courtyard before eventually they'll have the, the physical temple that they'll build that no longer is a nomadic replica, but is actually the house that God's presence would reside in there in Jerusalem. Verse 2, if we're tracking, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you bring an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If their offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. 
without the fact because God didn't want your junk. He wanted your very best. And why male? Well, it's just because it was the most valuable in that culture. God was getting the Israelites to give up something that they desired. It came at a cost to worship him. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that you may be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. We're going to talk about what that word atonement means. But at the heart of everything I want to share in our short time together is that all the way back in Leviticus chapter 1, even then, God created a way of worshiping him that anyone, no matter what you did this weekend, no matter the argument you had on the right here, no matter what you did this last month, the things that you inhaled into your body, the things that you digested and drank into your system, no matter the broken relationships that you have in your life, no matter the hurt and the pain and the lies that you have told, if you're honest and you submit, that anybody, anybody could draw near to God. But it's going to cost something. That's at the heart of what I'd love to share and to connect it with this big idea that the Old Testament Levitical laws we'll study was just a shadow of what was to come through the life of Jesus, that it was his sacrifice that made it so that anyone, if you're taking notes, can draw near to God, both eternally and today. Will you pray with me? God, we pause in the busyness of the week, this weekend. I mean, this place has been packed out these last couple of services, and it was snowing and windy, and we all made it here together. And so we just thank you for the safety, first of all. And now we pray that this time that we have set apart, that we would encounter you through your word, through scripture, that we would understand your greater story and compassion and pursuit of us in a way we never have. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here. We bring our brokenness, our baggage, our shame, our guilt. And I ask, Lord, that we would lay that at the foot of your cross today, that we would submit it to you. We love you, Jesus, and we give this time. Speak to our souls. We pray this in your name. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. See, something has changed for me over the last decade of my life. Like, I'm now that boring person that, you know, has children and and been married for a decade. And uh, I get on Instagram. Anybody uh, get on Instagram? And you see all these amazing pictures and stories of people and all the incredible things that they're doing. And I look at that and I go, man, that looks awesome. I would love to do that on a Friday or a Saturday night, but not going to (laughs) happen because babysitters now cost like $800 an hour. I don't know if you knew that, but it's just very expensive. So, you know, we don't always get to do the things my wife said this service, right? We we joke sometimes our life has changed. We're kind of like outsiders looking in at all the fun things that you young people do today. But there was a time I used to live and experience some of those things. And it reminded me a little bit of how church feels for people. You know, studies show that Generation Z often has this fear of missing out, FOMO, right? We have fear of missing out on things. And I find that for many of us, when we attend a church, maybe you came in here today and it was your first time ever here. Some of you, we have this happen every weekend, you haven't been in church in years or decades or ever. You may be attending online because somebody shared this on Facebook Live or MercyRoad.tv. Thank you. And we encourage you to share this now that others might participate in this around the world. But maybe you always feel like an outsider. Like you can see, like you come here and the fun that some people have, right? Like they, they, they clap on beats to songs. They, they know how to do that. They're worshiping. They're engaging. They know the lyrics and all the words. 
Man, sometimes we have amazing people in the front row here just worshiping like James Cheatham. Anybody know James Cheatham? Like when he's down here, yeah, come on now. Like our online campus is amazing, but like it's nothing like worshiping in the front row with James Cheatham. When that's going, like it's just a celebration. Yeah, I just get into it. And like I find that for many people, we see that and experience that. And you're like, oh, I don't get it. Why don't I feel like that? And you feel like an outsider. See, when I first became a Christian, it was years. I would go to Christian communities, even churches, and I never felt like I fit in. Because I didn't come from, I didn't like understand it all. I didn't understand what they were talking about. I'd read passages, especially passages like this, like, what was that about? What I want to share with you through Leviticus chapter 1, that our heart and desires, like God's, like Jesus, is that no one, no one would ever feel like an outsider. And if you do, it's because of fallen humanity But on God's book, in his eyes, there is no one who is an outsider. There are only those who choose to reject his word and his will. His desire is for everyone. And he's been pursuing us and pursuing us and pursuing us. And he will continue to do that until we respond. That's at the heart of what I'd like to share. If there are no outsiders, I'm going to make four simple points from Leviticus chapter 1 that we can take away from this. I'm going to spend most of the time on the first of the four points, and it's this. I've said it many times now. Anyone could draw near to God. If you caught that, you could sacrifice bulls from the herd. You could sacrifice from the flock, whether it would be goat, a goat or a sheep or a lamb. Or you could sacrifice a bird. I want to read just a few verses here so that you understand this, that there was no socioeconomic status that made it easier to approach God. The word offering or sacrifice in Hebrew, by the way, is the word korban. And korban in Hebrew, it means to come near to. So the idea of offering the sacrifice, whether it was a a grain or whether it was a burnt offering in this case of an animal, was that you literally would give this as a sacrifice so that you could draw near to God, no matter what you've done or where you've been or the things that you have seen. Look with me in verse 5 of Leviticus chapter 1. We're not going to read the whole passage, but I want to highlight verse 5, 10, and 14. Verse 5 says this, You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord, and then Aaron's sons, the priest, get this, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar. You serious? Like, if you had to experience that, that would separate the Sunday once-a-month attenders from the everyday-a-week followers of Jesus, wouldn't it? Like, that costs you something. In fact, it says that after you did that at the entrance to the tent of meeting, he created a way that for the wealthy people you would offer a bull. By the way, King Solomon, the wealthiest man in Israelite history, when he dedicated the temple, what did he sacrifice? Bulls. 700 of them, actually, because he was extremely wealthy. But for the middle of the rotors that couldn't afford that, he created a way that you could give your korban to draw near to God. If the offering is a burnt offering from the flock, verse 10, from either the sheep or the goats, you were to offer a male without defect. So whether it was a male goat or a, a sheep or a lamb, that was what you offered. By the way, we'll see this at the very end. When John the Baptist sees Jesus for the first time, what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God. That had a whole lot more meaning than you and I in our 21st century American suburban culture see in that passage. To the first century Jewish person, they had been practicing this act for over a millennia together. And for those who aren't middle of the road, for the poor people in the room, it says in verse 14, if the offering of the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, you are to offer a dove or a young pigeon. 
that he created a way that even if you were of the poorest status, that you could bring in a, a small bird. In fact, uh, if you look in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' family, when they made a sacrifice when he was 12 years old, what kind of sacrifice did they make? A bird or a dove, because he was what? Poor. Jesus understood what it was like to live in poverty, and yet they still had a way to draw near to God. And I wanted to really put this in context. you got to visualize this. So we have a special guest this morning. I thought we would actually, we're kind of middle of the rotors around here, so we actually have a live goat with us. Will you welcome Connie Booker up here as she brings the cutest goat I have ever seen. Now, yeah, there we go in the light. She told me uh, the goat's name is actually J-Lo, <laughs> if you were wondering, and she's the cutest, sweetest thing. No harm will come to this animal today, praise the Lord, right? <laughs> However, I, I want I you to illustrate what this would have actually been like, this beautiful creature. Uh, she's only 10 weeks old, but it'd probably be more of around a year old. No, she doesn't get a lot larger. She's a dwarf size of this. You would bring in the goat. And you would give this offering. And here was the idea. From the very beginning, God was essentially redeeming something that human beings had already been doing, which was this act of animal sacrifice. And he begins to change and transform its meaning. He made it in a way that anybody could draw near to him, no matter what is in your background or your past. And if you're in the middle of a rotor, you bring a goat in. You mess, let's say you messed up last weekend. You had too much to drink. You did something you shouldn't have done. You said something you shouldn't have said. Well, then you would come to the priest, you would offer this goat as a sacrifice for your wrongdoing. And it was meant to leave you with this feeling, right? That this, this beautiful animal is getting what I deserve. Because nobody in here is perfect. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you agree? Every single one of us. I find in my life today, sometimes I take two steps forward and one step back in my faith. And I go, God, man, I'm still struggling with that. Are you serious? You been there? And so all the way back, even though humanity had chosen to rebel against God since the beginning of time, he said, I'm still going to pursue you. And he gave you a way that you could draw near to him. And this animal would get what we deserved. And it was meant to be kind of a horrific thing. In fact, I find that when we think about that with Jesus, we could apply that and see that with this beautiful little creature. But when we think about Jesus, we often don't appreciate the cost that came for him that he took on all of our wrongdoing, became the Lamb of God, as we'll see, so that all of us eternally could draw near to God and that he got what we deserve. That's why when John the Baptist sees him, he says, behold, the Lamb of God, as we'll read. It changes your whole understanding of God's pursuit of you from the Old through the New Testament. Many of you read these verses that we'll see in Hebrews chapter 10 that refer to things back in the Levitical law, and you have no idea its meaning and significance, but the first century Jewish person did. Jesus was Jewish. And you have to understand the culture and the context that, that Christianity has been birthed from. And here's how it would work. So the priest would come, and they would take the animal that you would bring. And this was an animal that you had raised, that you knew. It was from your flock, and you had, because of your wrongdoing, to go and participate. And it hit you right in the pocketbook too, right? This was your livelihood, your livestock. It required something of you. We believe it would go like this. You would come and I asked Connie if I could do this. She said, sure. You'd lay your hand. Oh, my goodness. Are you serious? She didn't do that at the other ones. You would lay your hand on the animal. 
and you would confess your sin, the wrongdoing that you've participated in and how you've missed the mark onto this beautiful creature. Literally in the Hebrew, it's you would lean on the lamb. That's pretty rich, isn't it? Some of us here today, we're gonna, we need to lean on the lamb. We got some stuff we've been carrying around. You need to let him bear that weight. And you confess your sin onto the animal. And then through that atoning sacrifice, this animal will get what we deserve. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 says this. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to, to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Literally, the word atone, it means to cover up, to cover up if you're taking notes. And so the animal would get what I deserve. It w- its blood would cover up for all my sin and wrongdoing for that one week or that one year or that one moment. And I would do this again and again and again. Can you thank Connie and J-Lo for coming up here? It's so sweet. We, sh- we should have had a petting zoo. Do you agree? Like, I mean, you bring that up here and it's just like not fair. But it was this, this practice that human beings kind of created that God then redeems and uses that as a way to pave the way for what Jesus would do on the cross. That you would confess your sin onto the animal and get what we deserve. And, and you see this particular way that God asked us to, to worship him, to give this offering or sacrifice or korban. It was, he dictated the way that we drew near to God. We didn't dictate it. I mean, that's pretty clear, right? See, one of the common misconceptions is that if I'm just a good person, I could draw near to God. I'm I'm a good person. I don't hurt anybody. I'm not doing many wrong things. But the truth is, the Bible says that all of us are imperfect. We all fall short of the glory of God. And that number two, if you're taking notes, not only can all people draw near to God, all roads don't lead to God. And I found in our culture, this might be the most offensive thing to say. Because spirituality is accepted but not saying I believe in a particular uh, belief set. Christianity is very clear. The only way to draw near to God eternally is through the sacrifice of Jesus. John 14, 16 and 7, or John 14, 6 and 7 says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, not Mother Teresa, Not anyone in your life, not your grandma, your grandpa, no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you know him and have seen him. All roads don't lead to the same place. This is the Christian belief. There's no way to believe Jesus, he makes that very clear. He's the one that said that. The Bible uh, dictates that very clearly. Romans 5a, but God, Paul wrote, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love for us by taking on all the sin and wrongdoing and atoning, covering up for anything that you and I have done. Anything and everything. And he wasn't just anybody. He was God incarnate, the great high priest, as we'll see here. And he's going to change everything like we sang about in that last song. He changed everything because of his work on the cross, because of his atoning sacrifice. That anybody who's here today who has felt like an outsider, if you believe and receive the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, you do not have to feel that way at all. There's no outsiders for him. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, though, because it's his blood that atoned and covered up for our wrongdoing, our mistakes, even today. 
It's the beautiful work that he demonstrated his love that's hard to watch, and we can see that in a beautiful little creature like that goat, and we fail to see the significance sometimes of what Jesus has done for us. By the way, do people ever stop sinning? (laughs) No. I know I don't. I know you don't. So was the priest's work ever done? Never. Imagine if you're the priest. I don't want to get into great detail in this, but, but look at this for just a second. In verses uh, 5 through 9 in Leviticus chapter 1, where we started, it says, You were to slaughter the young bull before the Lord, and then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting. I already read that, but then get this. You were to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. Say what? <laughs> the sons of Aaron the priest are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Now, it seems really odd and strange to us, but in that culture, right, they didn't, they would, when they would actually eat an animal, they would have to do that. And you, those of you who eat meat, you make the butcher do it for you because you don't want to experience it. That's the truth, right? He would actually participate in this as the priest day after day after day. People coming in, confessing what they've done, confessing it on the animal. You serious? You got to do this again. Going through it over and over and over again. The priest's work was never done. Was there a chair, do you think, in the temple there where the priest was working and making the sacrifice? There is no record anywhere that I can find in the Old or New Testament of there being a chair because the priest's work was never done because we keep on sinning and he was always on the clock offering that next sacrifice. There'd be no need for a chair because they're still working. That's what makes it so significant in what Jesus did. The fourth and final point of number three, the priest's work is never done. Number four, Jesus is the perfect lamb and priest. The perfect lamb and priest. And I find it interesting to use the analogy of the lamb, which is for like kind of the middle of the rotors in the room, the vast majority that he made clear anybody could draw near to him, even the metaphor that was used. In John 1, 29, the next day, John, this is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To call him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world had incredible significance if you've been offering lambs as sacrifice for sin for 1,500 years, wouldn't it? See, we, we often don't understand the great significance in the storyline of God. He takes this thing that humanity began to do of uh, sacrificing animals, gruesome and gross, and uh, it was meant to be that way in some way. This animal got what we deserve, and he turns it into something to pave the way for the sacrifice he's willing to give up. The Father sent his only son, God incarnate, Emmanuel, that we celebrate at Christmas time, God with us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, it makes sense of this for us. And you may have never read the book of Hebrews. It's in the New Testament. It was written in the probably 80s, 90s AD, after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it makes sense of a lot of what happens in the book of Leviticus. Verse 1, it says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. Now, what's a shadow? Right? Like, if I, if I look back at my shadow somewhere... It's not real, is it? It's just a shadow. It's not the real thing. And it says that the Levitical law and the sacrifices that are offered there, and as we'll see, even the Jewish festivals over the next six weeks together, that Jesus participated in, and they were just a shadow of what was to come. And what we want to share with you is that it points to our Savior, Jesus Christ, all the way back thousands of years before. 
Verse uh, 1 continues on, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they would have not stopped being offered, for the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual or sometimes even uh, weekly or monthly reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away their sins. It's only God that can do that. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering, korban, you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me, Jesus says, with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased, Father. Then I said, Jesus says, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. See, this perfect high priest that the book of Hebrews will talk about, rather than simply lording it over and this animal getting what we deserved, this high priest would step up onto the altar as the ultimate atoning sacrifice. He would go to the cross after carrying it a mile up a hill, be nailed to it to suffocate to death in front of his friends and family. And I want to share his last words with you in a moment of what he would share so that you would understand the significance of all the things that God had been doing for millennia. Because see, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12 say this. Was there a chair in the temple? No. Day after day, every priest stands because we never stop sinning and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never truly take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for all sins, he sat down. Was there a chair there? He sat down at the right hand of God. See, there would no longer need to be all of these pagan practices. There would no longer need to be these animal sacrifices that God had instituted to pave the way for Jesus because this high priest got up on the altar. His blood atoned and covered up for our mistakes, not just for one time, but for all time. And that baggage and the guilt and the shame you've been carrying around for things you did two decades ago, he wants to receive that and take it from you. And you keep carrying it around. He's the one that already gave his life on the cross for you. You've heard about Jesus, some of you, your whole life. You've never appreciated what he took and what he bore for you so that you could go before him and do this beautiful thing, which is repent and say, I'm not perfect. I need you, Jesus, and surrender your life to him. And he chose with his last words in the gospel of John, he could have said anything, but he says this. When he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Literally in the Greek, to telestai, it's paid in full. Your wrongdoing, your indebtedness has been expunged for all time because of the atoning sacrifice that the blood of Jesus created in that moment on the cross. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit so that you and I could sit here today, hear the good news of Jesus, that we don't need animal sacrifices. We don't need to live in our guilt and shame anymore and repeatedly, day after day, feel like a failure. We can go to him, receive his grace and forgiveness, repent of our wrongdoing, and receive his mercy so I want to give us the opportunity to respond to that because no grave can hold him he changed everything on that cross that day 
And as you'll see next week as we look at the Passover, that the Passover lamb that was slain, it was significant. And he chose that moment in human history to happen at that day, at that particular time. So you could see his great plan of redemption for all of humankind and for you and for me here today. And you wouldn't have to question it. That with millennia of biblical stories that we have, it's all pointing up to that moment in time. The Lamb of God slain so that he could sit down at the right hand of the Father because it's finished. And you don't have to live in that guilt and that shame anymore. Would you respond with me in prayer right now? God, I'm going to do something different at this service. I just feel like there is at least one, maybe a lot of people here today who have known about you a really long time, but they have never truly surrendered their life to you. They haven't received your grace and forgiveness. They've been trying to do it on their own goodwill to just be a good person, and it's never good enough. And we're not meant to live that way. You give us the opportunity to lay all of our burdens and shame and at the foot of your cross, Jesus, and receive your grace and forgiveness, believe and receive all of your redemptive power in our life. And so if that is you, and you would like to commit your life fully to Jesus Christ, maybe in a way you haven't ever, or maybe it's to fully commit your life that you've only known about him, but you're going to make today different. February 24th, 2019, it all changes. You receive the grace and forgiveness of the Lamb of God and his blood that was shed for you. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to do this with me. As I just pray with every eye closed and head bowed, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to make you do anything, but we're just going to pray together. Don't be ashamed of his good news for you. He loves you in every way, and he is here. His presence is with us. He knew you'd be here at this moment, and he chose this moment in time to share this with you. May my words be taken away, but if he has spoken to your soul, may we respond together. If you're in the room and you want to share and surrender your life to Jesus on the count of three, ready? One, Jesus loves you. Two, he forgives you, man. Three, raise your hand high to say, I I want to surrender my life to you. I see the three of you over to my right over here. Help me, guys, in the back there. It's pretty dark. I see you over here, man. Wow. Praise God for that. I see the four of you. If I missed any, I see over here to my left. And you truly know, God, what is going on in their lives. I saw those five people. I missed anybody. Help me, guys. But put your hands down now. Oh, I just missed one. There was a sixth person over there. Now pray this with me. God, there are no outsiders in your family. And pray this. I am no longer going to be an outsider. My life is going to be about you. I receive your grace and your forgiveness. May it cover for all my wrongdoing. I believe and receive your grace and forgiveness. I repent of my wrongdoing. And on this day, February 24th, 2019, I surrender my life to you fully, Lord Jesus. God, thank you for those who prayed that now and truly meant it. And maybe somebody didn't even raise their hand, but they they meant that in their heart as they just prayed that. And maybe there's somebody who's been a Christian a really long time. You just need to respond to this because you know you got some stuff from your past. You've never surrendered to him. Pray this with me. If you consider yourself a devoted follower of Jesus, but you need some grace in your life, pray, God, I receive your grace for me today. Take this burden from me. I confess my wrongdoing, whatever that is. Confess it just quietly here for 30 seconds, not out loud. Confess it. We respond to your grace, your forgiveness, Lord Jesus, and we receive it. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen.